Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. The first issue of Love and Rockets came out in 1982. Its creators, Gilbert, Jaime, and Mario Hernandez, published it themselves. But it wasn't a homemade operation for long. They almost immediately got a publisher, started racking up awards, and earned themselves a broad, passionate fan base. Mario eventually took a step back to raise a family, but Gilbert and Jaime have been going strong for over four decades. If you've never read it, Love and Rockets isn't just about one thing. It's a collection of stories. Sagas, really. A lot of Gilbert's stories take place in the fictional town of Palomar in Latin America. A lot of Jaime's take place in the United States, centering around the personal lives of two Chicano women, Maggie and Hopi. Inside the pages of Love and Rockets, there are themes of humanism, stories lifted from the Hernandez brothers' life growing up brown and punk in the Southern California farm town of Oxnard. At other times, the series goes on flights of magical realist fancy. There are a lot of things that make Love and Rockets important and groundbreaking. It's a hit comic series that isn't about superheroes or even action. The Hernandez brothers draw mostly people of color and a lot of women. That representation is often reflected in the comic's fan base as well. Fantagraphics publishes Love and Rockets. They recently commemorated four decades of the series with a new collection. Love and Rockets, The First 50, is a box set that compiles the first 50 issues of the series. Interviewing Gilbert and Jaime is our correspondent, Brian Heater. Brian is the host of the excellent interview podcast, Recommended If You Like. He's also a part-time comics journalist and a lifelong fan of Love and Rockets. Without any further delay, let's get into it. Brian Heater, in conversation with Gilbert and Jaime Hernandez. Gilbert and Jaime Hernandez, welcome to Bullseye. Hey, hi. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us. So I imagine the both of you have gotten this a lot over the years, but whenever I tell somebody to check out Love and Rockets, I invariably get the same question, which is, where do I start? Your longtime publisher, Fantagraphics, is releasing a beautiful collection of the first 50 comics. I'd say obviously the $400 price tag is going to be a bit steep for some people. Mm. But when you're posed with that question of where to start, what do you tell people? I always tell them, um, you know, people have asked me that a long, a lot, for a lot. Well, now I just say start anywhere. If it's good enough for you, then maybe you'll be interested and go back or just continue where from when you're reading. Um, they look at me with a blank stare and then walk away. But <laughs> yeah, I, I would say start from the beginning and that's when they walk away. Yeah. Uh, you can't help it. It started 40 years ago and that's where it begins. So they're, they're reprinting affordable uh, reprints of our collections, which will mostly focus on Jaime has his books. I have mine. Once in a while, we'll, we'll mix them up. But if you'll start with, what was your first one, Maggie and Hopi? Maggie the Mechanic. Maggie the Mechanic was his first one. It's a paperback. It's pretty inexpensive. And it's filled with a lot of, of the early Maggie stories. And then mine is called uh, Heartbreak Soup. 
And it pretty much starts out my Palomar series, you know. I mean, there's other stories that I've done, but those are collected elsewhere. But anyway, you, you have to start from the beginning if you really want, want the experience. You won't be sorry. Yeah, it's the, I mean, obviously it's the soap opera problem or it's even like the Batman problem of, of where to jump into this thing that's been going for so long. And, you know, as you both mentioned, you've gotten that question probably more than a few times over the years. Are you generally concerned or do you think about giving readers on-ramps or entry points to get them started? No, I I just try to, to make every issue um, inviting where it's... Uh, where you will like it and not care that what happened before kind of thing. But that's kind of hard sometimes. But uh, I do think about that. Yeah, I think the one weakness of Love and Rockets over 40 years is that it's always continuity. It's always, you know, hooked up with continuity. So uh, some of you read a later story that you like, there's 30 years of that story, the, the backstory, <laughs> you know, it, it just works uh, for us that way. Because every time we try, we started a new format, you know, as a magazine, comic book, a book, and then it's uh, the magazine again, uh, we just kept going through and people were going like, oh, why didn't you start over? I go, we, we did that 40 years ago. We're, we're keep going. We're going to keep going on this. And, you know, and like you said, we, we work hard to make it clear. You know, if somebody's just jumping into an issue, but these characters have been around for a while and new ones, you know, they have the same backstories. Can't, what can I, can I tell you? <laughs> for me, as somebody who's, who's read a lot of your work over the years, it was really incredible going back to really the first issues in this new collection mm -hmm. and realizing how many elements that have come to define your work were basically there from the start. I mean, it... It seems to me, obviously you were very young at the time and we're talking about uh, 1982, but even those early, early books seem like the work of uh, very, very confident writers and artists. Oh, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> uh, we, th we simply hadn't stopped making comics since we were little kids. So we were practiced that way. You know, we had the muscle uh, memory. We had the, you know, as much as we can put into it, you know, at the time, you know, we, we, we never finished a comic. We never made a comic book for people to read. It was always for ourselves or to each other. But, uh, boy, what... it's interesting because the stuff I did right before Love and Rockets is a little different because when uh, we decided to do our own comic and they told me how many pages they wanted from me, I kind of started from the beginning and I said, who do I got? Okay, I got Maggie. She's a rocket mechanic. Okay, I, I could deal with that. Um, Hopi is her girlfriend, you know. And so I kind of created it new from the first Love and Rockets. That's why you see Maggie wake up in the morning and her hair's kind of long. Mm. And I have Hopi cut it. And then that's where you get the punk haircut. And so I was just kind of winging it because I didn't, I guess, I guess I learned to be a writer with the first issue because, uh, before that there was so many loose ends with my work. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have a complete, um, outlook to it like Gilbert did. So I, I was learning from the first issue, you know, of how to, how to start and end a comic. That's interesting. You know, obviously, again, going back and reading it, it's clear that the Palomar stories kind of really started taking shape later. But Jaime, it sounds like Maggie and Hopi were, how, how long were they with you 
before you actually started the series in earnest? Um, Maggie was with me since I was in high school before I went to the punk thing. I was just, I just wanted a space heroine, you know. So she kind of evolved. The more I evolved with the way I dressed, the what I was into, she would change with that. Her length of hair, her style of hair. Hopi came in punk days. I mean, she's a creation of the L.A. punk girls. So I don't know. Uh, it was punk that kind of uh, set me on my path, like fashion and stuff like that. But right before that, it was like, uh, I don't know. I was trying to do like 30s, 40s, 50s science fiction. Um, and I wasn't really, I didn't really know what I was doing or to my eyes, you know. Uh, like Maggie would dress a certain way and I go, well, that's not really the fifties, but here it is. <laughs> Gilbert, at, at what point in the process did Palomar really take shape for you? Well, I was doing the first issue. Uh, I, you know, when we published our own, uh, Love and Rockets at first, I was, I had a science fiction story I was doing. It was similar to what Jaime was doing. It was just, you know, anything, anything you wanted to put in it, just wild. I just started doing it, but it, it wasn't really going anywhere, and and that's what, what the story was sort of about at first. And then when we did the Fanographics book, we added so many pages, I had to put a story to it. So I just threw it more and more and more. And there was a part where the characters go to a small Latin American town, and even if it's still part of the science fiction story, I remember getting the feel that I liked that better than the rest of what I was doing. I go, well, I want to just do this town with the kids running around and people partying and because it was a fiesta. And I just I'd rather do that. So even though I didn't do it the next issue, I was still doing science fiction. I was trying to create a character I can follow, and it just wasn't happening, even though, you know, I, I still like what I did in those early issues, but it just wasn't me yet, you know, just, you know. So I took – so once the third issue came out, there was so much anticipation because the second issue, was, it was just an eye-opener. Everybody jumped on it like, this is the comic. Wow, this is the second issue, and it's even bigger than the first. So we, ra we ran with that. And so here's the third issue. Haim is doing his thing. And it's also, it's already being watched. It's already being looked at. And I go, well, I have half the book, you know, it's, or, you know, most of the half the, of the book. I could do anything I want because it's already going to be looked at. So I took a chance with Palomar. I go, there's not an audience for this yet. You know, I predicted there might be, you know, and luckily I was, you know, <laughs> right. But it was just like, I can do this. I can make my little movie you know, in a comic book of uh, Latin American country and all the characters. And uh, that it was really easy to, to do that, although we were still, you know, struggling to finish stories. You know, we had never done really epic type stories and finished them ever. So they took a long time to do. And But the rewards, you know, turned out really, you know, well, you know, people liked them. So much more to get into with Gilbert and Jaime Hernandez, creators of Love and Rockets. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Jaime and Gilbert Hernandez. They're the co-creators of the acclaimed comics title Love and Rockets. That series just had its 40th anniversary, and the brothers have released a box set of its first 50 issues. Interviewing them is our correspondent, Brian Heater. Let's get back into it. A big part of the reason why you did end up growing up in a, a comics household is I think your mother was a big comics reader. Did she did she get what you were doing early on? Um, 
when we started Loving Rockets? Yeah, uh, she was mostly happy that we found jobs. <laughs> that was the main thing. <laughs> we found something to do. Oh, uh, yeah. But um, she looked at it romantically, you know, but she start, she stopped reading when it got too rough, you know, as far as adult material, mm-hmm. you know. And <laughs> you remember the day she came, she came up to me and gave me her stack of Love and Rockets and goes, I can't read these anymore. And I just went... <laughs> You're lucky that I'm a grown man because this would have crushed me. Oh, yeah, as a child, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just shrug my shoulders. I go, well, she doesn't watch R-rated movies anyway. She doesn't, you know, read certain books anyway. She's just not there. So right away, even though it hurt a little bit, it was more like, well, she doesn't get it. She doesn't want it. Okay. And we've, we've had to accept that for 40 years. People still don't want it, but we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert, I, I know your daughter is an artist and she's tabled with you at shows. Um, on your end, is there a kind of line that you need to walk both in terms of, I guess, being an encouraging parent when it comes to her art, but also being very pragmatic about how difficult a path this can be? She's aware about the path. She's aware how long, how many hours I work and how much, you know, we, we, we had money troubles here and there. Uh, not be, only because, you know, comics, you, you can't make a living doing comics, just doing comics, unless you do three comics at once or you, you have a side job and, 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 uh, in commercial art or something, it's it's very difficult to, and she's she's aware of that. But she believes in art. She believes in the art. She believes in pursuing and and, and perseverance. Which you know, I, I hopefully hopefully I, I instilled that her mother and I instilled that in her, and uh, and I think so. She's just she's a typical artist though. I, I got to nudge her all the time to get things done. You know, sometimes I'll say, okay, hey, let's do this, let's do something, and 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 I'll I'll work with you on it. Then she'll get going only because she needs that nudge. I didn't, we didn't really have that nudge uh, in the early days. So we never finished anything. We, we had a lot of comics. We drew a lot of stuff, but a lot of the stuff we did, we didn't finish because we just had no real like incentive to finish it because it would just sit there uh, in the early days before Love Rockets. Uh, so anyway, she knows what daddy did you know, for 40 years, whatever. And now she's a grown woman. She does her own art and I encourage her. As much as I can, and, and what's great, what I like is that she, she can do her own thing, and it's nothing like what I do. She she just didn't copy what I did, the same kind of layouts or, or storytelling or anything. She has her own vision, and I that's what I encourage even more is that you have your own vision, you have your own name. Viewing comics history from a distance, I, I get the sense that the alternative landscape was in a bit of a lull by the time Love and Rockets came along in the early 80s. Uh, Much of the underground comic scene, you know, Art Crumb and its like had to a certain extent run its course. What was your sense of the comics community during that time? Um, I felt that it was, uh, it was a a small part of it anyway. It was ready for something like Love and Rockets. Uh, I didn't expect it to be, you know, the way it, grew during the 80s and became, you know, that's what comics are, indie comics. And that was that was considered more important. So the mainstream had to fight with getting the attention with Dark Knight and Watchmen and that sort of thing. But the indie uh, comic scene was just growing and happening. And there was a whole generation of people who didn't care about superheroes, you know. So that was that was pretty great you know uh, but you know like i said it was it's a struggle cuz you have so much against you so many opinions against you uh so we just like hyman said we would just back off and just go back to doing our comic and keep doing it you know 
were, were you aware that there was an audience for this kind of thing when you started? I don't think I cared. I just wanted to have my <laughs> comics. You know, I I didn't know how big or little this thing would be. I was just so happy to do exactly what I wanted. And maybe that's not realistic, but and it just happened to work out. But yeah, I I was like, are we gonna get rich out of this? I don't know. Yeah, it was like <laughs> you know? that was an afterthought. Oh, uh, whoa, I guess I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> you know. When was it clear that it was working? Was it really that second issue? Um, yeah, that it was moving forward. We still had a lot more to do. I mean, it was only the second issue, you know. So what's the third? Well, luckily that the timing was the Palomar story. That was the, you know, the, the, the main story in that issue. Unless you collect Hymas stuff that was also in that issue, then there was all that. So Lone Rockets had a lot going on. Also, Mario had stories in there, our older brother. So there was a lot going in Lone Rockets that had uh, different, from different points of view that uh, I think made it like uh, – sort of like a, a treasure chest type comic. That's what we wanted. This is a treasure chest. This is the history of comics filtered through our eyes, you know, filtered through B-movies, comic books, rock and roll punk, just basically coming through us and we're putting it on the page. Whereas like say the rock and roll didn't really show up in Palomar, but the energy and the, the life it has. Uh, rock and roll has always had its own lift. Uh, so it, it, just infused me. I mean, in the early 70s, I was in, so into rock music. And like I was saying, only certain people got it or wanted it. And so that kind of uh, petered out in the mid-70s. And then once punk exploded, this this was new because in the early days, you'd have favorite bands, but there was only one or two at a time, right? And so once the punk thing happened, it was Ramones, Pistols, Clash, blah, 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 blah. And then the local bands. And every and then there were just more and more and more happening all over the place. So this was something that couldn't be stopped. Otherwise, uh, in the early days, they could stop certain kind of music that, you know, early punk rock or whatever, you know. Yak, yak, yak. Yeah, there's, an, <laughs> there's another important element of that, too. I mean, you know, you, you were obviously both involved in the Oxnard hardcore scene, the Nardcore <laughs> scene, as it was known. Uh, and the other aspect of all of this is the the DIY element and the idea that you can just go ahead and do this for them. It was, you know, starting a band. If you can't necessarily play an instrument for you, it's, Hey, we can just go to, you know, the Xerox store and photocopy these things and put them out. Yeah. That's love and rockets was that it was DIY. It's like, well, we don't, if we don't like comics, make them, you know, luckily we have that background, you know, a lot of people, a lot of indie cartoonists in the old days, the first comic they drew is when, you know, was when they try to get something out there, you know. And so they they had to come up with stylized art because it takes a long time to learn to draw, you know. So luckily we had that background, Jaime and I, uh, that background of just drawing all the time. And so when we drew our first comic, we were ready, you know. I mean, it took a while to get it together, but, you know. I assume anytime a book hits a big round number or anytime someone puts out a big collection like this, it's an opportunity to really go back and, reread some of those early works and reconnect with them. Did you have that experience? Did you re-engage with the early issues? Oh, I used to look at my early work all the time. I used to love reading my stuff. <laughs> my stuff, And then uh, now it's like hard. Well, 40 years you know, have passed and there's so much of it. But yeah, I remember artists always saying, oh, I can't even look at my early stuff. And I go, oh, I read my stuff all the time. <laughs> But it, and it was partly for uh, research too. Yeah. I mean, knowing what, when a character 
went to jail or something, you know? Well, well for me, it's the same thing, but it's almost mostly uh, for research, you know, because I am doing some characters and I'll bring back a character that I hadn't done in 30 years. So I have to research, is he alive? What did he do? What was the last thing he did? What did he look like? And, and I got to do that. And sometimes I'll get caught in reading the, the part of the story that he's in or she's in. And I look at it thinking like, well, I put a lot of work on this. I, sh I should be happy about it. But I'm not crazy about the proportions here. I'm not crazy about how this person looks here. I like the way I draw them now better. So like most characters, if I'm drawing old characters, I'll draw them better or the way I want to now. more, uh, more Just because I'm, I think I'm better at my eyes just better at it, but it's mostly research. The thing that bothers me, though, is that I'll, I will read sections of it because I'm researching a character, and I and I think I wrote that. I couldn't write that now. <laughs> it's weird. But then once I, you know, after after the sadness passes, I think, well, it's there. Yeah, I did it, yeah. so I don't have to do it again. Jaime, you said something in an interview years ago that's really stuck with me ever since. You've got this job, you both have this job that can be extremely repetitive, just the act of making a comic and drawing you know, characters and panels over and over again. But what you said is, you, know, you might as well find something that you want to draw over and over. For you in those early days, it was, as Gilbert alluded to, you know, rockets and cars and dinosaurs. What is that thing now? Oh, whew. I guess just uh, body language. And the characters moving, moving through the story. That helps because I'm thinking about the story as well. You know, sometimes I think I'm more a storyteller than an artist, than a, a guy who draws well. You know, I sometimes I don't care what the drawings are doing. <laughs> you know, I just want the story to move and in the most natural way possible. I still like to draw, you know, figures and and stuff like that but um but it's got to be a character i like you know for the most part like uh my one of my newer characters tonta i just love drawing her because she just uh this clown <laughs> so she fills up the page and makes it look interesting even if she's just saying something stupid and i love a character that can carry a comic that way where it's like like, you're not going to survive this next story because <laughs> you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Well, that doesn't matter. I just love watching her go through the motions. And that's a lot of fun for me now. You know, and then I like to stick, uh, stick say, Maggie in there who's got a conscience. And so she, uh, she's like... Why is this kid doing this? You know, uh, why is this kid acting like a clown? Or I like this kid because all she cares about is acting like a clown, yeah. you know? And so that's what carries me through these, these comics. Do you, you have that thing, Gilbert? Pre pretty much. I don't, I, I do get tired. I mean, it's been a long time, you know? So I do get tired toward the end of uh, finishing a story or an issue and thinking like, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> but you know, it's, 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 it's just a lie you tell yourself. Cause what else am I going to do? You know, I, I mean, even if I retired f completely from comics or whatever, I have nothing to do other than fix up the house, you know, and that's a good thing, but I, what, where's my creative drive going? Where's my, you know, my imagination. Cause I have an 
overstuffed imagination, obviously. My imagination is a hamster on a wheel. I got to control it. It just goes so nuts and it's always being poured out into the comic and I really have to, you know, pull in the reins, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm able to do that more so now because I'm getting lazy, but... Um, I, I just like I like drawing. I like drawing monsters and spaceships and all that stuff. Only once in a while because I get bored very quickly because I know there's nowhere to go with that for me anyway. So I just like to draw. Uh, I like to draw the new characters, the younger characters because they don't know what's going on. They're kind of uh, the old Palomar stories and the old characters shenanigans are new to them. So I explore those old stories and old characters uh, with these younger characters who are learning about them. You know about the older characters. And, and that's fun to do. I guess that's what makes it kind of new. In the early days, it seems like perhaps there was more collaboration and maybe that was a result of Mario being in the mix. Did you work together more closely back then? You and Mario did. Yeah. Uh, Mario needed... Well, it sounds bad, of course. Mario needed help. He, he needed... He never worked the way we did into trying to finish stories and stuff, he would always have part, part of a story partially done and he didn't really have uh, a figure. He couldn't really figure out how to do the rest. So I was just simply there to like, okay, let's, I'll letter this for you. Or I'll just, you know, he goes, could you just draw this hand? Like he was having trouble with a hand while he was drawing something else. It wasn't like draw this and I'll watch you. No, no, he was working, but I would try to fix something he had. And it was just something simple because sometimes when you don't, you can't see your own art sometimes because you're so tired or you're just so bleary-eyed from it. And so he just couldn't get this hand right. It was a very simple drawing. and I could, But I've been there. So when he went off to do his stuff, I would just simply lightly pencil that hand. And he'd look at it and goes, how'd you do that? And I go, I know how that is. I know how it is. You just don't see it when you're just so much going on, uh, especially uh, Mario's stories and my stories, the way we told them. We really overloaded those things with stuff going on. And so they're very crowded, as they, as they, as you could see. So anyway, things like that, you know, like he had his own ideas, he had his own thing, but I would just be there to be like, okay, let's, you know, let's just get this thing together or whatever. So, uh, but Jaime was uh, away from that. I I, I was away uh, from that because uh, Gilbert's a big boy and he can take care of himself, and he proved that early on in the comic. And the other part is I didn't want anybody stepping on my toes. <laughs> well, so I just kept to the back kind of. And I'm, I'm wondering if it has to do with that you guys were the older brothers. And since I was little, you guys controlled everything. And I would just stand in the back and go, okay, well, I'll do mine. And I hope it's, I hope it's good enough. You know, I mean, maybe I still got that in my head. I guess we don't outgrow it, but see, it's a thing that we use, though, which is good. We use that to to, to get things done. We to 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 look at it like, well, I better do this. Like I said, it's, it's always been a sense of duty, for whatever reason. You know. Why did Mario end up walking away from the book? Well, part of the reason is uh, like what I was talking about. It was it was difficult for him to finish work to get work because he put so much into it, and he he wasn't a very good self editor, you know. Uh, I wasn't a very good one for a long time. I'm a little better now. But he just he just would put so much stuff into something he couldn't finish. 
Uh, and he just got behind because, like I said, he didn't practice the way we did at, growing up making comics. He did his own. He's a great idea man. That's that's one thing about Mario that's missing from Love and Rockets is that he was a great idea man. He could come up. He always gave his characters something to do, whether it was exciting or interesting or wacky or, or serious. He always gave them something to do. For Jaime and I, we always had to figure out. <laughs> giving him something to do. Yeah, and I would I would rely on my characters to write the stuff most of the time. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, it just was a burden. And he had, uh, remember, we're younger. I was still living at home. Uh, not, I shouldn't have been, but I was still living at home with mom. Jaime uh, was there for a while, and then, you know, he moved out. And Mario it was married with kids. You know, he had a regular job. And it's really hard to do comics when you have a regular job and trying to put out regular comic, comics on time. It's, it's very difficult. Yeah, when you have a day job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll wrap up with the Hernandez brothers in just a minute. Like we said earlier, they have been writing stories for Love and Rockets for over 40 years, living with these characters longer than some of the longest running TV shows in history. Have they thought about how those stories might end? We'll get the answer after the break. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Which animal has the most bones? Why isn't Pluto a planet? Why are bees electrically charged? Let's find out together on our show, Let's Learn Everything, where we learn anything and everything interesting. My name's Caroline, and I studied biodiversity and conservation. My name's Tom, and I studied computer science and cognitive blah, 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 blah. Mm, Did you? <laughs> <laughs> and my name's Ella, and I studied stem cells and regenerative medicine. On our show, we do as much research as you would for a class, but we don't get in trouble for making each other laugh. Subscribe to Let's Learn Everything every other Thursday on Maximum Fun. This is Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Our guests are the creators of the Love and Rockets comics, Jaime and Gilbert Hernandez. They're being interviewed by our correspondent, Brian Heater. There's been much written about the way both of you portray female characters. In fact, in the book, there's a great letter by Trina Robbins, the great cartoonist on the subject. It seems like early in those days when people would ask you about it, you would have some difficulty explaining why you were rare and, and able to write, write women well. Do you have a better perspective on that now a few decades later? Well, now my answer is I just love women and I want to put them on the page. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, serious, uh, visually and, uh, I don't know, personality. You know, I, I just like r- writing women and drawing women. And that's the bottom line. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I think it's just a wiring that we're wired for that. Because when we grew up reading comics or looking at comics, a lot of them, you know, we saw them all, you know, love, um, uh, superheroes, you know, westerns, war comics, whatever it was, Mad Magazine. But we also read uh, comics that were supposedly for girls. Uh, Betty and Veronica, Lois Lane comics, you know, Little Dot comics. Those We liked those just as much. So it was fun to read a Betty and Veronica comic or a Lois Lane comic for me because it was just so much fun to read, even though a lot of it, you know, it's kind of goofy, written by old men, you know. I just I just liked it. It was just normal, and I liked the art in them, especially. And I I was, I was gravitated to, say, Betty and Veronica or even Lois Lane because they had to uh, be conscious of how they dressed. 
you know, that they dressed well uh, or fashionably, or at least for the day, fashionably for the day. And in the, uh, Betty and Veronica's case, they liked re- rock and roll that was real. If you look at rock and roll in a Marvel or DC comic, it's like, a, you know, you run into the street screaming. It's just like, this is so stupid. I like it now because it's so stupid. But it was incredibly stupid in, in Marvel and DC comics. Uh, the thing and the torch wearing uh, beetle wigs and, you know, but that's as far as they knew what the kids were into, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, but anyway, like uh, like the the the, the comics that leaned a little bit more toward girls, they're more interested in different things. And we were interested in those things too. You've also both received a lot of praise for your representation of Latin American culture, Palmar specifically, you know, something that certainly up till that point we hadn't seen in comics. And one might argue that we still don't have enough of it. Mm. Was that something you were very cognizant of at the time? Sure. It it was mostly it was just draw what you know, you know, and then you find out uh, not very many people besides me know (laughs) about this subject and about this culture and this uh, just this this Southern California that we knew that most people didn't. So it was it was very important to tell our family story and our our. just share what it was like to be us, you know, because we weren't singing anywhere. So we took advantage of what we knew and put it in the comics. Luckily, people were interested. I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of people that weren't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I still wonder how many people don't read our comics because we're Mexican. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, sure. I'm sure that happened, you know, but, you know, like we were talking about earlier, we don't care. (laughs) <laughs> we don't care about anybody who doesn't like our comics. <laughs> Not go. saying that they're the bad people, but if they don't like it, bye-bye. You know, we're going to do it. I'll, I'll say it. They're bad people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've both settled into what I would call these really epic stories, you know, certainly from a time perspective, the, the amount of time that either of you have been working on them. For Gilbert, it's Palomar. For Jaime, it's uh, Maggie and Hopi, the Locust stories. I have this picture of you both having these kind of, again, these things planned out to a certain extent. Um, How far down the road are either of you really thinking? I just know some people are going to live longer than others, but I don't know how and when and stuff like that. I don't know. It's uh, not a really big plan. I, I mean, maybe... Maybe because we've been doing this 40 years that uh, I should start thinking about <laughs> the long-range plans, you know? I, I actually am. I, I actually, in the next, uh, roughly next 10 years, should it you know work out my way, uh, I have an ending for things. Not, not all of it. I think the Palomar stories are, are over within 10 years from now. I mean, for over, you know. It might get mentioned. It might be, you know, you know a reference to it, but I... Probably won't go back there, but then see this is this is what's great about it. You never know. Tomorrow I might have an idea for a story that uh, <laughs> will last ten years. You know it, it, that that's what's good. You never know. You you contradict yourself. And you never announce it. <laughs> yeah, you try not to announce it, but you never know. You just you contradict yourself constantly. But it's almost always to the positive end. You know, we'll figure something out. Like oh well, I didn't need to be so you know controlled over where the story was going. I, I can open up. You know. You both lived with these characters for so long. I'm 
Gilbert, you in particular, you said that you effectively see that light at the end of the tunnel. Is it is it scary? Is it exciting knowing that there's a point when that story might come to an end? Um, for me, it's a little bit sad because it has to happen. You know, um, at my age, it has to happen. We're not going to do this forever, and I want to still be good at the end, you know, uh, whenever that whenever that is. Who knows? But, yeah, there's things I just have to stop repeating and, and going back to characters, uh, situations, uh, you know, like Palomar. I mean, unless I have something to say about Palomar or something happening in Palomar, I'm just going to leave it alone. There's still going to be bits here and there of it, but I don't have the Palomar story anymore. Like, uh, both of us, I mean, we don't have, I don't have the Luba stories over, Hopi stories over. Then that seems a little sad because I really liked the vitality of those characters, you know, when they were, you know, when they're up there, uh, now it's like, well, Luba's is older and she's just a little, a little tired, and I, I, she doesn't have a story anymore. It's her extended family. So, yeah. so yeah, and so for Maggie, because I still love drawing Maggie, I still like writing her and stuff. I have to now come up with stories about a person who doesn't do anything. <laughs> That's how the stories are focused now. Mm-hmm. That Maggie's person who doesn't do anything how do i make that interesting <laughs> you know <laughs> on that note gilbert and jaime hernandez oh thank you so much for joining us on bullseye oh, great yeah, it was, this is fun I, I i blabbed like a maniac i hope i i was coherent <laughs> jaime and gilbert hernandez the 40th anniversary box set of love and rockets is called love and rockets the first 50 you can buy it on the website of its publisher, Fantagraphics. Our thanks to Brian Heater for interviewing the Hernandez brothers. Brian's other podcast is called Recommended If You Like, or R-I-Y-L. It's a great interview podcast, lots of compelling interviews with musicians and artists. If you're into comics or punk rock, it's an especially rich vein to mine. Uh, great show. Glad to have Brian with us. Go find it wherever you get podcasts. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. I have been compulsively collecting Victorian doorknobs, and I finally have enough to replace all the doorknobs in my house. Took a lot of flea marketing, folks, but I did it. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellows at Maximum Fun are Tabitha Myers and Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is composed and provided to us by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Our theme song is by The Go Team. It's called Huddle Formation, thanks to them and Memphis Industries, who are their label. Bullseye is on social media, on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Find us in any of those places. Follow us. We will share with you our interviews. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.